HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about the United States' biggest crop. It's corn. They will always tell you that corn is like their family. Corn is their family. You treat corn like you would treat your family. These subsidy programs are supposed to be for really dealing with unexpected things that happen to farmers. Although in practice, a lot of times farmers are actually paid farm subsidies for things that we can control and do expect. There's this constant warfare going on between the oil industry and the grain industry. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mike Schreiber, and welcome to The Shameless Chef, the show that takes us back in time to home kitchens in the 1970s, but still has a lot to teach us today. I developed this show with Michael Davenport in 1977. He was the original host of The Shameless Chef, and he shared his fearless attitudes towards food and encouraged home cooks to have fun and take some risks in the kitchen. I'm excited to keep this legacy alive and share The Shameless Chef with you on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we'll spotlight some of Michael's beliefs about restaurants. Interestingly, he didn't frequent restaurants often because he preferred to prepare a meal. Perhaps his love for home cooking is why so many of these stories are about the woes of dining out. He always felt there was more love in the room when someone personally fixed dinner. On occasion, he loved eating out at a fine dining restaurant, but today's stories are less about refined dishes. Instead, they feature funny, awkward, and honest observations about eating at restaurants and recommending them to others. I would like to acquaint you with Davenport's Law. It may save you a lot of embarrassment. This is the shameless chef, Michael A. Davenport, oddly enough, the perpetrator of Davenport's Law, which reads, The very evening that you recommend a restaurant to friends is the very evening the restaurant will go bad. Law or curse, it's true, don't recommend restaurants. Let's consider the power of invoking Davenport's Law. You tell your friends in the apartment complex about that wonderful little Italian restaurant owned and run by Mama and Papa where the pasta is truly homemade. And so your friends go. 
They tend to avoid you in the halls after that, and you wonder why. The reason is, the night they went to your recommended restaurant, Mama and Papa were out of town on vacation, Junior was running the restaurant, and Junior was spaced out on something. It was the same night that the air conditioning in the restaurant went on the fritz. Davenport's Law at Work. You have friends here in town who are going to an obscure little place, say, oh, a dump truck, Wyoming. You rave about a single eatery there that features the most incredible barbecued lamb shanks in the whole world. You can't miss it. It's right on the main drag. They go. They look. Last week there was a terrible fire and, uh, you know, and your friends had spent days licking their chops in anticipation of those lamb shanks. Mm-hmm. Davenport's law. There are endless manifestations of the law. Immediately upon your recommendation, any or all of the following can happen. The maitre d' has a toothache. There were no fresh peaches on the market that day, hence no pêche melbe en flambeau. There has been a fire, flood, pestilence, vice squad raid, or a swarm of locusts, and the restaurant's out of business. The worst thing you can do to invoke the curse of Davenport's law is to recommend a restaurant that is far, far out of the way. Out in the boonies are tucked up a dark alley. Your instructions are never graphic enough. Your friends will invariably get lost and end up eating greasy barbecue sandwiches and swearing at you. If anybody asks you for a restaurant recommendation, make only one. Check out the Yellow Pages. <laughs> Davenport here. If not the perpetrator of the law, certainly its victim. It's a matter of record that I'm especially fond of the salad, and judging from your letters and cards, many of you share my enthusiasm for every time I give a recipe for a crazy salad, the mail snowfalls down here at the station. This is the shameless chef. For the nonce, let's consider where the salad belongs in a meal, before, with, or after. I happen to be a salad afterer. This tends to upset waiters in restaurants who bring me my salad before the main course. Then when I don't eat it, they keep trying to take it away from me. I look at them and say merrily, Oh, I'm a salad afterer. And they have difficulty contending with this, particularly in those restaurants where the salad is tossed at table. Oh, well, such are the drawbacks of quirkery. Now, I don't know where the idea of salad before the main course was born. Some say in California. You know, with that same tone of voice that implies, Wouldn't you know? If I eat a salad before the main course, I tend to wolf it, and thence have less room for the delights to come. I decry the emergence of the salad bar, for it's entrenched the salad even deeper as a before course. On the other hand, I salute the salad bar as being responsible for introducing a lot of people to a lot of esoteric things that belong in a salad. Before the salad bar days, would you have ever thought about putting alfalfa sprouts on your salad? Indeed, did you know that alfalfa sprouted? I didn't. Or how about coarse ground pepper from, from a coffee grinder? Well, the French have long said, and they always seem to have a word for it, that salad is the broom of the stomach, which loses a lot in translation and delicacy. But salad after the main course does clear the palate for things to come like coffee and dessert. I don't care what it does once it gets down there. So I'm a salad wither, sort of, or a salad afterer. Now, I refer to the simple classic salad, you know, greens and oil and vinegar and salt and pepper, not the giant number that is almost a main course. I sometimes suspect that the restaurants that present the most elaborate salad bars are those that serve the most stingy main portions. Elsewise, why have they taken to charging for the salad bar? 
Ah, well, graciousness always falls at the feet of greed. Anyway, if you haven't tried salad after, I commend it to you. But be warned, uh, you may confuse and injure your waiter. (laughs) Michael A. Davenport here at The Shameless Chef. Bon appetit. We'll be back after this break. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. We're back with The Shameless Chef. I can't tell you how many times this suggestion has been made to me. Why don't you open a restaurant? Heaven forbid. Just because I can play Melancholy Baby in three keys on the piano doesn't merit my playing in Carnegie Hall. Owning or running a restaurant is an art, a fine art. This is The Shameless Chef, and I salute the restaurant profession. You hear tales about little old biddies who start out making strawberry jam and end up as a food conglomerate called Little Old Biddy Foods. (laughs) Rare. Although I hate to shatter your illusions, that giant company didn't start with a nice lady named Betty Crocker. The only pie maker I ever heard of who ended up owning a chain of restaurants was Mildred Pierce, and you know what happened to her. Far be it from me to discourage you. If you want to parlay your chili recipe into a chain of food establishments, for such is not impossible. But there's a long, hard road to hoe between the original recipe and the wildly successful food chain. There is a formula for becoming a successful restaurateur, and it would include most of the following. Start with an unusual recipe, one that no one else has on the commercial market. How's that for a near impossibility? After all, you want your product to have a difference. Go to a business school and learn how to run a business. Go to a school or college famous for its hotel and restaurant division. Work as an apprentice or a menial in a well-run hotel or restaurant chain and learn everything from buying produce to how to handle temperamental chefs. Find enough financial backing to run your establishment for a year without making any profit. Then, and only then, open a restaurant, and I'll be the first to send you a congratulatory green plant. I might even patronize your restaurant. I think of all this every time I eat in a good, and note that word good, restaurant, and I'm glad I'm merely the shameless chef. Davenport here. Bon appetit. Please, subscribe to The Shameless Chef wherever you get your podcasts. The voice you heard throughout this episode was Michael Davenport, the host of The Shameless Chef, who unfortunately passed in 1985, but lived a truly vibrant life. The Shameless Chef is produced by Dylan Hoyer and me, Mike Schreiber, with podcast development and additional production by Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. The original theme song for The Shameless Chef was composed by Chip Davis. Armin Spengen composed the theme music for this podcast. 
The Shameless Chef is powered by Simplecast. The Shameless Chef is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.org.